My wife and I are very excited um, to get down here as soon as we can uh, and to serve you guys alongside uh, Josh and Becky. And um, uh, some things that tie up on on our end, we have a house to sell and some more support to raise. Um, So, but, you know, some details that come into place. We're looking forward to getting down here as soon as we can. Uh, We live in Gardner right now. Um, So, but as we start, Josh asked me to share just a little bit about myself. um, And we'll get to know each other uh, as we move along. But uh, just real briefly, uh, he asked me to share a little bit about my testimony. And um, I guess kind of what I do now is straight ahead. So, uh, briefly, for me, uh, I became a Christian when I was about 13 years old. I had been going to a Catholic church my whole life, and parents ended up switching churches and started going to a church where um, they preached the gospel. Uh, so it was the first time I really heard anything about Jesus and uh, that there was, you know, punishment for those who uh, didn't believe or who rejected him. And I remember very distinctly one night in particular, uh, wish I could remember the address, but I'd like to go back and visit, but I remember a pool in the backyard and a big tree and sitting there in the grass and uh, trust in Christ uh, for forgiveness of my sins. Um, since then, uh, you know, began to grow little by little, but uh, as a believer... Um, but what really impacted my faith, my walk, was a relationship I had uh, with an unusual uh, person. It was a gang member, a former gang member. Uh, he was a couple years older than me. His name was Brian. Uh, he'd been in trouble. He'd been in lockup for a couple years, and um, he was locked up for a gang-related murder. He was involved with it. He didn't actually kill the kid, but he was there, and so he, he went, went away, did some time uh, when he was a young, like, 14 years old. So he got out. He was about 16, and but he became a believer when he was in jail. And uh, when he got out, his life was completely different, as you can imagine, than when he went in. And uh, he was up from, uh, he grew up in Lowell. So tough neighborhood and tough kid. Um, and, and for me, as a young believer at that time, um, I remember thinking, wow. And he gave Jesus all the credit for everything that had happened in his life. Even though he had to make choices like we all do, we all have to change and uh, obey the Lord, but yet God works in us through those things. And um, so he always gave Jesus all the credit, and I remember thinking as a young man, myself, maybe 14 years old at the time, wow, if God can change this kid's life, you know, what can he do with my life? And um, I was already a believer, but I hadn't really grown much, and that really got me into the Word and just started to read, and uh, that's continued to this day. Um, so, but years later, I uh, ended up, um, and what I do now, I work with Straight Ahead Ministries, and I've been doing it for six years. And um, we go into lock-up facilities and do Bible studies with kids and try to help them when they get out make transitions to the community and, and live for the Lord. And uh, ironically, maybe ironically, but uh, Brian, when he was in jail, was led to the Lord by uh, volunteers from Straight Ahead Ministries. So uh, it kind of came full circle, and, and then the Lord led us to work with Straight Ahead Ministries, who uh, sort of had an impact on my life through this gang member. So... Uh, I'm sure we'll get to know each other a lot more, uh, especially when we get down here. But um, So Josh did call Friday uh, morning sometime, and uh, there's not enough time to put together a sermon. Um, but uh, I have uh, a bunch of sermons I've done before. So uh, tonight what I'm going to do is share one that I've already shared um, at another church. And uh, I did this one back in uh, November. I team taught it with another guy at a different church. Um, and he took, we did Psalm 19 together, and uh, he did the first six verses, and, which is why I'm doing 7 through 14. Um, 
So, uh, but I will touch on one to six briefly, just to get kind of an overview of the whole thing. So uh, many of you are probably familiar with the book of Psalms. Uh, it's one of six that are classified as poetry. Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and uh, Lamentations. Um, the Psalms were designed to be sung with musical accompany- accompaniment. And uh, so we find in the Bible that uh, they were often used in the worship of ancient Israel. Uh, I love when we get to sing the Psalms as songs. I think that's really neat, and that's what they used to do. Uh, there's 150 of them, uh, written by a number of authors, but uh, by and large, David wrote the most. He wrote 73 by himself, so almost half. Um, now, David, if you don't know, just briefly with him, he's the second king of Israel, uh, reigned for about 40 years uh, back in the 10th century B.C., for your history buffs. Um, and although he committed you know, terrible sin in his life, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Um, probably the two major events that he's famous for are um, defeating Goliath. We all know that from when we were kids. And then also his sin against God with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. Um, David's Psalms are neat, though. They cover basically every human experience that we could imagine, and they read like something out of a journal. Uh, they're very comforting and easy to relate to. Psalm 19 is divided into three sections. And they all have to do with the glory of God. That's really the theme that ties all three sections together. In verses 1 to 6, what we'll see is the glory of God is revealed through the works of God. Then in verses 7 through 10, the glory of God is revealed through the word of God. And finally, in 11 through 14, the glory of God revealed through the worshiper of God. So to begin, I just want to touch briefly on 1 to 6. Very briefly, you'll see. Um, but just to show you how the glory of God is revealed through the works of God. And I'll read the verses for you very quickly. It says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. So what we see is that the glory of God is revealed through the works of God. God's works are telling of his glory. They're declaring it. Uh, It pours forth speech, reveals knowledge to the ends of the earth, not just here in Boston, but all over, uh, to the extent that God's invisible attributes, as Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 1, his, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen being understood through what he has made. Uh, the glory of God gives us a glimpse of who God is. Uh, and the unbelieving, unregenerate person can clearly see God's glory as they look upon creation. Uh, God has displayed his glory in creation Intentionally, it's for everybody to see. Um, the result that everybody would look at creation and just realize somebody must have created this. Uh, that there's no other way that this stuff could just come to be. Um, however, recognizing that there's a creator is not the same as having saving faith. Um, God's revelation of his glory in his works was insufficient to bring about saving faith. So a greater revelation was needed. 
And God did this through his word. So as we transition to 7 to 9, uh, just a couple of things, but the revelation of God in the word of God is greater than the revelation of God in the works of God. So I just mentioned that no one comes to saving faith through uh, gazing at creation or even realizing that there is a creator. A lot of people believe that. Um, but uh, God's word, on the other hand, reveals the covenant God, Yahweh. You'll see in your Bible sometimes, well, a lot in the Old Testament, the word Lord, and it's all in caps. Uh, the Hebrew word behind that is Yahweh. It's uh, the God who redeems or the God who saves. And it's the word of God that reveals this God to us. So as we're about to move into 7 through 9 um, of this psalm, uh, it reads a little bit like Psalm 119, which is uh, quite a bit later, 100 psalms later. Um, 119 is a great section of scripture on the word of God. If you're interested in uh, looking at what the Bible says about itself, uh, 119 is a great place to go. Um, Definitely the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's kind of neat because it goes through, it takes a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and uh, each different section starts with that letter. So it's very uh, intentionally arranged, uh, the guy who wrote it. Um, And it all talks about uh, the Word of God and its benefits. That's what we have here, really, in Psalm 19, um, really 7 through uh, 10. Um, It reads a lot like Psalm 119. Um, We see the same sort of pattern where the Word of God, there's a lot of synonyms for it. Law, statutes, commandments, precepts. um, These things that David uses over and over again, which we'll see. So, in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, David describes the Word of God and its life-transforming benefits for those who abide in it. So let's pick up in verse 7, and we'll work our way down. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. In the context of Psalm 19, when David says law, he's really thinking of uh, what the Bible that he had at that time, which was the first five books that we have today, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, sometimes the Jews called this um, the Torah, which is a Hebrew word for law. Um, and we know we're all mostly familiar with the Ten Commandments. These are laws that God gave. Um, but as you read through the Torah, uh, the books, there's over 600 laws that God gave uh, to the nation of Israel, laws they were to live by. Uh, as you read through them, especially in Leviticus, they're, they're pretty cut and dry, like pretty black and white. Um, and yet, for some reason, over time, they were greatly misunderstood. And because they were misunderstood, they were misapplied. Um, so what I want to do as we start off is we're really looking at the Word of God and, and the law of the Lord. And in these next few verses, I just wanted to take a minute and try to clarify why God gave the law, um, what the purpose was, and, and certainly what it was not. Uh, one common misconception is that... Um, God gave the law in the Old Testament, say the Ten Commandments, or say these 600 that he gave to Israel, as a means to gain eternal life. Um, You may remember the Pharisees in the Gospels, um, they believed and taught that. If you wanted to go to heaven, then you had to obey the law. And um, you may remember Jesus' uh, response to that, he was pretty, uh, pretty upset about that. That is just not true. The law was never given to uh, for people to be able to gain salvation. Um, 
but it's so common, isn't it? It was common then, and it's common now. Um, whenever I share the gospel with people, um, uh, I guess we all have different opening questions, or how do you how do you change the conversation, you know, to something spiritual? For me, um, what I like is just I, I say, hey, assuming that there is a heaven, how would somebody get there? Um, and that reveals a lot real quick about what they think, and then we can uh, I can start to teach and correct or, or whatever. Uh, with where they're at, but, you know, almost 100% of the time, what I get is, you got to be a good person, you know, so uh, this idea that you have to be a good person and obey the law, obey the Ten Commandments or whatever, it's very prevalent today as well, but uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus explained that salvation is attained only through faith over 50 times, just in the Gospel of John. Uh, and this salvation through faith and, and not based on works is attested all the way through the Scriptures. Um, Paul writes to the Romans, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And in Genesis, going way back to the beginning, Abraham is justified in the sight of God on the basis of his faith. So being justified uh, maybe a big theological word, but basically just means to be declared righteous. Uh, not that we are righteous, not that we're perfect, we're not. Abraham and Paul, they weren't perfect either. But um, through our faith, God imputes righteousness, or he, he gives us his righteousness. Pretty amazing concept. Uh, Paul explains it like this in Second Corinthians. He says, he made him, that's God made Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Christ took our sin, paid its penalty, and by believing this, we are given Christ's righteousness. So obedience to the law never led to salvation, nor was, nor was that ever the point. So then what is the purpose? What was the purpose of the law? Um, so the law was given to the Jews, a community of people already saved by faith. Uh, they were already in relationship with God through the covenant that he made with Abraham way back in Genesis, way back in the beginning. Uh, God gave them the law not as a, a way to kill their joy or, you know, keep them from having any fun, um, but, but as rules of living, again, for people that were already saved by faith. So just kind of like today how um, as Christians we don't obey God because we're trying to earn his favor. Um, we obey God because we have his favor. Um, it's a natural expression of what God has already done for us. Uh, Paul says this to the Romans um, 12.1, great verse. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. A very common verse. It, it, very interesting. The word spiritual here uh, is translated from a Greek word, uh, which means logical. So it's as if Paul is saying, um, in view of everything that I've just talked about in Romans, all the things that God has done for us, isn't it logical, doesn't it just make sense that in view of all that God has done for us, we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices for him? And this is exactly the way the law was intended to function for Israel, for ancient Israel. Um, so as we come back to these verses, keep in mind that David specifically had uh, in mind, the first five books of the Bible. That's what, that was his Bible. Today we have 
66 books. It's complete. And uh, what David says about the first five that he had is true for the whole thing. So he says this again in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Uh, he's saying it's complete, lacks nothing. Uh, all that God intended to communicate um, to us is contained in the Bible. Um, some people think, especially people that I talk to, um, you know, well, the Bible is one of many religious books, and there's probably truth in all of them, and uh, it's not true. Uh, it's not a revelation of God. Um, it's the revelation of God. Um, Psalm 119 says this, the sum of thy word is truth. It's completely true. It's perfect. Then David gives the first uh, benefit to abiding in the word of God. He says it restores the soul. Uh, the Bible refreshes the soul that longs after God. Uh, I know for me personally, every time, and you may have been through experiences like this or times in your life like this as a believer, but when you've not been in the word, uh, for if it's been just a day or a couple days or a week or a couple weeks or however long, and you haven't been praying, maybe things got busy, you got distracted, who knows? There's a lot of reasons, right? Um, times like that for me, I know, I feel in my heart and my soul that I need to connect with God and I need to get in the word. And that is the only thing that satisfies. Nothing else will. Um, the word is a continual reminder of who God is, who we are, of the world and their need for the Savior, of so many things. Um, so God's word has tremendous benefits for the believer, but also for the non-believer. Right? It's through the word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit that the sinner comes to faith. That one day a long time ago when I was sitting in that guy's backyard next to the pool in the tree, wherever that was, you know, it was through the preaching of the Word. Even though I was a sinner uh, and deserving of God's wrath, when I sat down and when I got up, I was uh, saved by God's grace. Um, So the Bible is regenerative. It is life-giving. Paul says this to the Romans in chapter 10, 17. You know, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Uh, David goes on and he says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, God's testimonies keep his people from getting into illegitimate ambitions. Uh, Psalm Psalm 119 again says this, verse 36, Incline my heart to thy testimonies and not to dishonest gain. So there's a direct connection between uh, abiding in God's word and and not sinning. His testimonies are designed to keep us in the path of righteousness. Um, And then Dave gives a second benefit of abiding in the word of God. And he says it makes wise the simple. Um, You know, education is great. uh, But all the education in the world can't make anybody wise unto salvation. Only, Only the Bible can do that. True wisdom is found in the Bible and in knowing the God who wrote it. Um, you know, he's the author of wisdom and gives it freely to those who ask, as James says. Uh, I'm reminded of, um, I'm reading through the book of Acts now in my personal reading, and uh, just a couple chapters in, but I love reading about the early church. And those guys, man, they, uh, they had a love for the Lord and his word, and they were, they were going to tell everybody. And they got into a lot of trouble early on, well, all the way throughout, but I'm only a few chapters in. This time around. Um, but I'm reminded of uh, Peter and John who, uh, you know, are preaching Christ. And um, 
they get called in before the Sanhedrin, which is this great group of smart and educated men, religious guys, and at their defense, so they're trying to explain why they're preaching Christ and salvation through him. The, uh, the council of men is uh, marveling because they realize that these two guys, Peter and John, are untrained and uneducated. And they recognize them as having been with Jesus. So abiding in the word of God gives us a wisdom on life and understanding that even men with great learning cannot match. In verse 8, David continues, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Uh, precepts tend to be, in the Old Testament, tend to be instructions in how the godly are to live. So also called statutes, commandments. Again, some of these are all, they're synonyms for the word of God. And David says that they are all right. That they encourage the godly to be upright. Um, sometimes as a believer, uh, you feel, I feel discouraged. I feel like I need some encouragement to continue to live out my faith. And uh, the encouragement is right here. Uh, the Word of God will encourage you to continue to live out your faith. Um, and then David gives a third benefit of abiding in the Word of God. And it's this, that it rejoices the heart. Uh, obedience to His Word, when we abide in it and live by it, it brings an inner joy and peace. Uh, so many of the kids that I work with in jail, they, um, when we talk about Jesus and, you know, sharing the gospel with them, some are, you know, some do come to faith, but a lot of the kids feel like, well, then I have to stop doing all the things I like to do. Um, real common idea. You know, like, God's not going to let me have any more fun. Um, but in actuality, the opposite is true. Um, when you're a believer in Christ, uh, fullness of life. You get fullness of life when you are obeying Christ and his word. Um, like that song, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Uh, and so a lot of the kids we work with then, when they get out of, the, out of jail and they get back to the community, and they're trying to live, uh, live for the Lord. And uh, like we all do, slip up and get back into some stuff they used to do. Uh, and then when they tell us about it, they'll say, yeah, but I, I was miserable. I don't understand. I used to love doing that stuff, and I was miserable doing it. And it's like, yeah, you know, you got, you're, a, you're a believer now. You're a new creature. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. You, you can't continue to sin like, like it was, you know, before you came to Christ. Um, the only way to have this inner joy is to abide and to obey the Word of God. It really rejoices the heart. Um, David continues at the end of verse 8, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Commands are anything ordained by the Lord. Again, uh, not burdensome, but actually meant to give freedom for the believer. And the fourth benefit here of abiding in the word of God is enlightened eyes. So, obedience to God's commandments results in a biblical worldview. Um, so I think we have a biblical worldview and we can align ourselves under God's authority and his sovereignty over all of life's affairs, whether, especially when things are going well, but even when things seem to be going bad. Um, so when we abide in God's word, he gives us the ability to really know um, uh, such a famous verse from uh, Romans, 
but to really know it, that he causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It's a verse that we claim a lot when we're going through hard times, uh, and we will share with other people, and it's true. Uh, but it's one where when we begin to really see things the way God sees them, and he begins, begins to enlighten our eyes, that it really uh, becomes true for us, and we believe that. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, one of our staff members, uh, a young kid, he's like 22 now, two years ago, three years ago, oh nine. Um, he was a crip. Um, he lives in Lynn. Uh, he was a gang member for, for a while and then became a, a believer and left his uh, gang lifestyle behind. Uh, most kids, when they do that, they'll leave the city they live in because for fear of uh, retribution or all kinds of stuff. But he really felt called by God to stay, and um, he came on board with us. We have a couple offices. Straight Ahead does. One's up in Lynn. Um, and he really wants to work with other gang members and help them uh, share the gospel and help them get out of their gang lives as well. So, uh, so he left his gang. Uh, but the Bloods, you know, they didn't really care that he left his gang. You know, he said, well, I'm not playing anymore. They say, we don't care. We are, you know. So for them, uh, if they had an opportunity to, to take him out, then they were going to do it. So one day uh, in August, 2009, he was uh, walking uh, in Lynn, and a car came around the corner, and a gun came out the window, and, and uh, shots were fired. And um, it was a group of guys, but Khan was one of the ones, he was actually the only one that was hit. Uh, the bullet hit him in the back, and he was able to get rushed to the hospital, and he was in there for about three weeks, but he ended up um, surviving. Uh, it, this wasn't the first time the Bloods had tried to kill him after he had left his gang. Another time, they, um, they'd stabbed him almost 30 times, thought he was dead. Um, but, you know, God had other plans. Um, so, in some ways, we may think that naturally Khan would be really angry. Um, either angry at the rivals, um, maybe even angry at God, like God... Here I am trying to live for you, and you let this happen? We do this kind of stuff all the time, don't we? It's not life and death like this, but we do stuff like this all the time. Um, But because of Khan's faith in Christ and the fact that he'd been abiding in the word of God, he had a totally different perspective. So rather than seeing something as evil, which it was, um, Khan saw it as God's goodness to him. Um, So all of his life... uh, he had an eating problem. He could eat, but every time he ate, he'd get sick. Um, and he went to the doctors. They could never figure it out. And so, what, you know, what that meant is that he would eat, but eat very little and get sick. And he could never put on weight. Um, very, very skinny uh, guy. So, but when the bullet went in, he got rushed to the hospital, and they did surgery. And the bullet went in his back and came through his stomach and got stuck someplace in his ribs. They're just going to leave it there. It's apparently not... A bad thing to have a bullet in there. But, um, uh, so, but when they did the surgery to correct the damage, somehow they fixed the problem in his stomach. Um, so uh, as Khan reflects back on that, he says, in his own words, he says, God blessed me with a bullet. Um, and this is a young guy. This is not like a guy that's been walking with the Lord for 50 years. He's 22 years old. This happened two years ago. But so Khan was able to see a, an evil situation through God's eyes. Um, that what was done, done for harm, God used for good. And, and this, I think, is the power 
of abiding in the word of God and the enlightening of the eyes that David says here. He continues in verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is a reverent, holy fear, and all that we uh, experience, possess, when we know that we're standing in the presence of a holy God. Um, Psalm 2.11 says, Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. In the Bible, the characteristic mentioned more than any other is God's holiness. He is completely without sin. Uh, the fear of the Lord is clean. It's clean in that it purifies us from sin. When we fear the Lord, the Lord works in us and transforms us into Christ's image. And this is a new one for me, enduring forever. Uh, I was glad to wrestle over this passage for a while because I've read this a lot before. I didn't really know what that meant before. Uh, but the fear of the Lord endures forever. So it continues into eternity. Um, in the Gospels, Jesus says, um, if you be, obey my commands, then you know, I consider you a friend of mine. So there's an aspect where, uh, even now as believers, we're friends of God, which is amazing. Um, and we're, that will continue throughout eternity. But I think there's also an aspect where, um, even though we're friends, uh, where we'll continue to fear the Lord throughout eternity and continue to grow, or that that would even continue to grow. Um, a reverential fear of God, um, even when we get there. Um, even in Isaiah 6, the angels that are closest to the throne of God uh, and who are holy, they're completely without sin. They're not fallen angels. Um, it, the ones closest to the throne cover their feet and their eyes all the time uh, when they're in the presence of the Holy One. And he continues in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. Uh, judgments are not uh, like condemnation, but decisions that the Lord makes uh, as supreme judge. And he says that his judgments are true, they're upright, they're just. Um, we say hindsight is twenty twenty, and with God, hindsight, foresight, and all other sight is twenty twenty. You know, he does not make mistakes. Um, even times when we don't understand, and most times we don't, why seemingly bad things happen, um, as in Job's case, he never knew um, why all that stuff happened to him. Um, we can trust God who is sovereign over it all. And in verse 10, David says, uh, talking about the word of God, uh, the judgments, the statutes, all these things, commandments. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings from the honeycomb. Now remember who's writing this, right? David, he's a king. Uh, if anybody would know anything about riches and gold and good food, it would be David, you know? Uh, so he had all this. No one ate better than the king. Uh, and no one was more wealthy. And David says, but the, the treasures that we strive so much for and the food that we long to eat, that nice juicy steak, filet mignon, and you know, the honey in this, in this culture, those are less desirable than the Word of God. Um, you may wonder, how can that possibly be? But he already said it in 7 to 8. Let me recap. Verse 7, uh, what we learned is that his Word regenerates the spiritually dead, 
It rejuvenates the spiritually dry, and it refreshes the devoted disciple and imparts divine wisdom. Then in verse 8, the word of God brings joy and a biblical worldview. It's no wonder then why it's more costly and more precious and more desirable than, than riches and than the best food. So in light of David's reflection on the glory of God revealed through the works of God, and in light of his reflection on the glory of God revealed through the word of God, he now prays that the glory of God would be revealed in himself, the worshiper of God, from verses 11 to 14. And he says, Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So it's the word of God which keeps the worshiper of God on the right path. Um, in addition to all that we've just said about the Bible, uh, it warns against participating in sin, and it's a really a guard uh, from doing things that are in rebellion to God. Then he continues in verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Uh, we all know that David was a sinful man, right? Uh, so he uh, was lustful, he committed adultery, maybe rape, it doesn't say. But um, I'm not sure that Bathsheba had a choice um, when the king summoned her. Uh, conspiracy, murder, uh, these massive sins. Um, and he recognizes there are many sins that he commits. Um, errors here refers to sins committed inadvertently. Uh, you know, things that, that aren't planned. Um, it might be a reaction that we have to a situation, driving or, uh, you know, with our kids or whatever it is. Motivations or thoughts, uh, all these things, pride and selfishness and bitterness and jealousy and all these things. Oftentimes these sins go unnoticed. Uh, but David pleads with God to acquit him, to be declared innocent of all these sins on the basis of, of his faith in God. Again, not because he's trying to do the right thing and obey the, the law, but on the basis of his faith. And then in verse 13, it turns his attention from sins of error to intentional sins. He says, Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. So these are moments in life. We all have them. Uh, hopefully less and less. Um, but where we know what, um, what God wants from us, where we know what his word says, we know what we should do, but for some reason, we just don't feel like it. Um, we all have moments like that. Uh, I have a lot of moments like that. I w- hopefully less and less as the Lord transforms me. But uh, times when we choose something else, um, and David asks God, pleads, begs maybe, Keep me from intentional sins. Let them not rule over me. Uh, The only way to live lives acceptable to the Lord is to live in accordance with his word. And finally, this last section of his prayer, verse 14, uh, probably one of the most um, uh, popular or familiar prayers in the Bible. And it's a great one. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So that in everything, David wanted to be pleasing to the Lord in his actions, his words, and the meditations of his heart. Um, meditations there, thoughts, uh, these things that the recesses of his mind where no one else has, has access. Um, 
sometimes we can sin in our thoughts no one even knows. There's almost no accountability there, except for God's own Spirit convicting us. But David prays that these things that he dwells on would be pleasing to the Lord. So, the glory of God is revealed through the life of the worshiper of God when the worshiper of God abides in the Word of God. The glory of God is revealed through the life of the worshiper of God when the worshiper of God abides in the Word of God. So as I finish here, uh, I just want to ask a question to think about. Um, And it's, to what extent is the glory of God revealed through your own life? If you consider yourself a worshiper of God, and if, if you've trusted Christ for forgiveness of your sins, not on the basis of anything that you've done, but purely on the basis of His grace through faith, um, if that's you, then you're a worshiper of God, then God's desire is that your own life would be another avenue for Him to reveal His glory. Um, so, His glory is already revealed through His works, we look around creation it's already revealed through his word and he desires that it would be revealed through his worshipers so my challenge tonight is let's get into the word i mean i know uh, probably many of you are already in the word let's let's stay in it sometimes we go through periods where we get out of it for a lot of different reasons and if you have never gotten into the word it is powerful um, transforming uh, the Bible says it's alive and active. I know of no other book that is alive and active. Um, so let's get into his word. Let him transform us into the image of Christ and be vessels through which God's own glory shines in a dark world. Let's pray.